Section 62 of Lay Down Your Arms. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Lay Down Your Arms by Berta von Suttner. Translated by Timothy Holmes. Chapter 15, Part 2. What a prospect! An elegy of Tiege came into my mind. Oh, sight of horror! Mighty prince, come, see, and o'er this awful heap of moldering clay, swear to thy folk a gentler lord to be, and give to earth the light of peaceful day. Great leader, when thou thirstest for renown, come, count these skulls, before the solemn hour when thine own head must lay aside its crown, and in death's silence ends thy dream of power. Let the dread vision hover o'er thee ever. Of these sad corpses here around thee strown, and then say, Does it charm thee, the endeavor upon men's ruins to erect thy throne? Yes, unfortunately it will charm men, so long as the histories of the world, i.e., those who write them, build the statues of their heroes out of the ruins of war so long as they offer their crowns to the titans of public murder. To refuse the laurel crown, to give up fame would be nobler. Is that what the poet means? The first thing to do should be to despoil the thing, which it should appear so beneficent to renounce of its glory, and then there would be no ambitious man any longer to grasp after it. It was twilight already when we got to Chlum, and from thence walked on arm in arm to the battlefield near at hand in silent horror. A mist was falling, mingled with very fine snowflakes and the dull branches of the trees were bent by the shrill-sounding pipe of a cold November wind. Crowds of graves and the graves of crowds were all around us, but a churchyard? No. No pilgrim weary of life had there been invited to rest and peace. There, in the midst of their youthful fire of life, exulting in the fullest strength of their manhood. The waiters on the future had been cast down by force and had been shoveled down into their grave mold. Choked up, stifled, made dumb forever, all those breaking hearts, those bloody, mangled limbs, those bitterly weeping eyes, those wild shrieks of despair, those vain prayers. On this field of war it was not lonely. There were many, very many, 
whom All Souls Day had brought hither from friends and enemies' country, who were here come to kneel down on the ground where what they loved most had fallen. The train itself which brought us was full of other mourners, and thus I had heard now for several hours weeping and wailing going on around me. Three sons, three sons, each one more beautiful and better and dearer than the others, have I lost at Sedova, said to us an old man who looked quite broken down. Many others, besides of our companions in the carriage, mingled their complaints with his, for brother, husband, father, but none of these made so much impression on me as the tearless, mournful three sons, three sons of the poor old man. On the field one saw on all sides and on all the roads black figures walking or kneeling or painfully staggering along and breaking out from time to time into loud sobs. There were only a few there who were buried by themselves, few crosses or stones with an inscription. We bent down and deciphered, as well as the twilight permitted, some of the names. Major V. Royce of the 2nd Regiment of the Prussian Guards. Perhaps a relation of the one engaged to our poor Rosa, I remarked. Count Gruner, wounded July 3rd, died July 5th. What might he not have suffered in those two days? Was he, I wondered, a son of the Count Gruner who uttered before the war the well-known sentence, We are going to chase the Prussians away. What foot? Ah, how frantic and blasphemous! How shrilly out of tune sounds of a surety every word of provocation spoken before a war when one stands on a place like this. Words and nothing more. Boasting words, scornful words, spoken, written, and printed. It is these alone that have sown the seed of fields like these. We walk on, everywhere, earth heaps, more or less high, more or less broad, and even there, where the earth is not elevated, even under our feet, soldiers' corpses are perhaps moldering. The mist grows thicker constantly. Frederick, pray put your hat on, you will take cold. But Frederick remained uncovered, and I did not repeat my warning a second time. Among the mourners who were wandering about here were also many officers and soldiers, probably such as had themselves shared in the nobly contested day of Kuningratz, and now were making a pilgrimage to the place where their fallen comrades were sleeping. We had now come to the spot 
where the largest number of warriors, friend and foe together, lay entombed. The place was walled off like a churchyard. Hither came the greatest number of mourners, because in this spot there was most chance that their dearer ones might be entombed. Round this enclosure the bereaved ones were kneeling and sobbing, and here they hung up their crosses and their grave lights. A tall, slender man of distinguished, youthful figure in a general's cloak came up to the mound. The others gave place reverently to him, and I heard some voices whisper, The Emperor! Yes, it was Francis Joseph. It was the Lord of the country, the supreme Lord of war, who had come on All Souls' Day to offer up a silent prayer for the dead children of his country, for his fallen warriors. He also stood with uncovered and bowed head there in agonized devotion before the majesty of death. Long, long he stood without moving. I could not turn my eyes away from him. What thoughts must be passing through his soul, what feelings through his heart, which after all was, as I knew, a good and a soft heart. It came into my mind that I could feel with him, that I could think the thoughts at the same time as he, which were passing through that bowed head of his. You, my poor, brave fellows, dead, and what for? No, we have not conquered. My Venice, lost. So much lost. Ah, so much. And your lo young lives, too. And you gave them so devotedly for me. Oh, if I could give them back to you. I, for my part, never desired the sacrifice. It was for you, for your country, that you, the children of my country, were led forth to this war. And not by my means, no, not though it was at my order, for I was not compelled to give the order. The subjects do not exist for my sake. No, I was called to the throne for their sakes, and any hour have I been ready to die for the weal of my people. Oh, had I followed the impulse of my heart, and never said yes when all around me were shouting, War! War! Still, could I have resisted them? God is my witness that I could not. What impelled me? What forced me? At this moment I do not know exactly. Only so much I know. That it was an irresistible pressure from without, from yourselves, ye dead soldiers. Oh, how mournful, mournful, mournful! How I have suffered for it all, and now you are lying here and on other battlefields, snatched away by grape-shot and saber-cuts, by cholera and typhus. Oh, if I had said 
No, you begged me to do so, Elizabeth. Oh, if I had said it. The thought is intolerable that, oh, it is a miserable, imperfect world. Too much, too much of woe. During the whole time that I was thinking thus for him, I fastened my eyes on his features, and now, yes, just as I came to too much, too much of woe, now he covered his face with both hands and broke out into a hot flood of tears. So passed All Souls' Day on the battlefield of Sedova. End of section 62